Welcome to the Apostles Houston podcast, and thanks for listening. As a community following Jesus in Houston, we want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do the kinds of things Jesus did. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we invite you to join us for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. in Houston Heights. For more information, visit us online at ApostlesHouston.org. Just real quick, did, did all the kids get a handout that are in here? Everybody got a handout? If you didn't, raise your hand real quick. Just make sure. Okay. So parents, just so you know, you can help. Your, your kids have this handout. It's got a uh, kind of an outline that they can fill in and follow along with the sermon. And then you can take that home and you can talk with them about what we talk about in the sermon. So this is a new thing we're doing. I just want to encourage us uh, to take advantage of that tool with, uh, with our families. Um, I... I was really grateful. Our family had some time off last week. We were able to, to get away and, and spend some time just up in the hill country, and it was such a gift, but we missed being able to worship uh, with all of you. And um, uh, last Sunday was, uh, was still Christmas, and this Sunday, it's not Christmas. Uh, this Sunday, it's what's called Epiphany. Uh, and so we want to talk a little bit about what is Epiphany and how does that connect with, first of all, the scripture we just read in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus' baptism, and then also, why is it important for us as followers of Jesus? What is uh, Epiphany helping us to, to mark, to understand? So, just, uh, so let me just say, first of all, happy Epiphany, all right? And you can say it back to me. There you go. All right, so it's Epiphany, Happy Epiphany. Uh, this may be a new thing to you. We've talked about this back in Advent, that there's this thing called the church calendar, that the gospel actually shapes how we mark time. And so we've been in the season of Advent, and then we had 12 days in Christmas. That ended on January 5th. Epiphany kicks off January 6th, which uh, is a great day in human history because it's my birthday, and so it's a very special day. Um, but more than that, it's when the church has historically marked, uh, marked Epiphany beginning. Now, what is Epiphany? Uh, well, basically, it's the time from now all the way up to Ash Wednesday. So it's this time period before we get to Lent, between Christmas and Lent. The word Epiphany comes uh, from the Greek epiphania, which means revelation or manifestation or appearance. So that's where it comes from, from that Greek word. So in other words, kind of connecting the dots. At Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Jesus, Jesus' arrival into the world. He, John 1, 4, he took on flesh and dwelt among us. And then in Epiphany, we kind of pick up that thread and we continue celebrating the fact that not only has he come, but that Jesus has come into the world to save the world. That he's done this because of who he is and his mission that's what we celebrate. And so Epiphany's highlighting this. And if you look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, it, it kind of helps articulate this, I think, uh, in, in a really profound way. It says this, This grace uh, was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. So again, understanding how time all works together, that God is revealing something significant in Jesus that was before time and now is manifest in time. And he says, Paul says, but now it's been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus. And what's the reason he's come? Who has come to destroy death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. 
So that's, that's the identity and the mission of Jesus that's been revealed to us. So Jesus comes to save. He, he follows through on the promises of God through history, not just to the people of Israel, but now to all the world. He's come to save the entire human race. And so that's why, for example, Epiphany is closely associated with uh, the story of the Magi. So do you think the Magi come, and they come from far off, and most scholars think they are Gentiles, they're non-Jews, coming to worship Jesus, and it's the embodiment of this ancient prophecy, many ancient prophecies, actually. Just for one example, Isaiah 60 says uh, that nations shall come to your light, and the kings to the brightness of your dawn. And so there's this, this new thing that God is doing, and I think it's captured beautifully in a prayer in the prayer book that highlights the meaning of epiphany. And the prayer goes like this. It says, O God, by the leading of a star, you manifested your only son to the peoples of the earth. Lead us who now know you by faith to your presence where we may see your glory face to face through Jesus Christ our Lord who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever." Amen. That's the prayer of epiphany. It's the prayer of our hearts in this season. And so one of the, one of the moments in Jesus' life that's highlighted is uh, the coming of the Magi. The, the other two events that are typically highlighted in epiphany, one is uh, the wedding at Cana, Jesus' first miracle, the manifestation of his glory. Uh, but the one that we want to focus on today is the baptism of Jesus, the baptism of Jesus. At the baptism of Jesus, his identity and his mission were declared to the world. And so I want to encourage you to open Matthew up to chapter 3. There's verses I just read. There's some Bibles in the seat backs near you. I want to encourage you to have that open. Um, and, uh, and we're going to follow along as we work our way through uh, what we're told here about the baptism of Jesus. So... Jesus comes to the, to the Jordan. John, we talked about during Advent, has been baptizing people at the Jordan. And so here comes Jesus, and he comes to John, and he wants to be baptized. Now, immediately, right off the bat, if you know anything about John and his ministry, it should beg the question, why in the world is Jesus coming to be baptized? If John is baptizing people for repentance... Now, if you don't know a whole lot about Jesus, you know at least one of the claims that Jesus made was that he was indeed the Son of God, the perfect Son of God, the sinless Son of God. So what in the world would Jesus have to repent about? Why would he need a baptism from someone like John? And in fact, John agrees. And he says, when Jesus comes to him, he says, wait a minute, this is backwards. I shouldn't be baptizing you, you should be baptizing me. In other words, you're the perfect sinless lamb I've been proclaiming is coming. I am a sinner. This should be the other way around. And so he protests. Now, let me, I just want to pause right here and just note something about John the Baptist, about the spirit of John the Baptist that I think is pretty remarkable. So John is this passionate, right, gifted, anointed powerful, influential man of God. Jesus said he's the greatest man to ever been born in history. Quite the claim from Jesus about John the Baptist. He, he's the greatest man who's ever lived apart from Christ. And that in this moment, 
His response to Jesus is, no, not me, you. Now, we could, we could breeze past that, but I think John captures the Spirit in John chapter 3, in the Gospel of John. It says, John said, I must decrease and you must increase. And I just want to point this out because I think it's so lacking so often in Christian leadership, in pastoral leadership, in the church, in our world today, that we have here in John a beautiful and powerful picture of humility before Christ. Humility is sorely lacking in the leadership of our church in 21st century America. And so here we have this picture of a truly godly leader who's deeply aware of his own need for Jesus and not just other people's need for Jesus. He needs Christ, and he knows it. And so he says, no, no, Jesus, I insist. You, you baptize me. And this is what's amazing. What does Jesus say to John? He says, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting it being you baptizing me, thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. I love how Eugene Peterson in the message paraphrases Jesus' response. When John says, no, no, I, I'm not gonna baptize you, you baptize me, this is what he says Jesus is basically saying to John. John, do it. Do it, right? Not mincing words, do it. This is God's work Peterson says, putting things to right, all things to right, all the culmination of history is coming together here in this moment, right now, in this baptism. It is right that this happens. Just do it, John. What's interesting to me is I'm not sure John totally understood exactly what Jesus meant when he said this is right, that this is fulfilling all righteousness. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't, we're not told. It simply says that John consented. John didn't fight back when Jesus said, do it. He did what Jesus says. And again, just maybe a pastoral observation, I think, for us. Sometimes we question in our lives what God is doing. When we encounter Jesus in a moment in our life, when we go through certain circumstances, it's hard for us at times to understand what's actually taking place, how all things are going to work out for our good, for example. And so I just want to say, maybe there's something going on in your life right now in a relationship or in some circumstances that are really hard. Maybe they're particularly confusing or painful. And so in this moment, there's a part of you that wants to understand God, I don't understand why. why. Why this? Why this way? And maybe you feel like God hasn't given you enough information to go on. And so like John, you want to push back. <laughs> you know, say, well, I think maybe this isn't the best way, Jesus. I think we should do it a different way. And so I think this is encouraging us to just allow God sometimes to be God in our lives. That maybe God saying, do it is enough for us. It's enough for us to be faithful and to trust him and to obey him with whatever we're facing. And here's the thing, because in the end, we don't obey Jesus because we agree with him. We obey Jesus because he's God. And so when he says do it, we need to just do it and trust him. 
There's room for questioning. There's time for wrestling. But ultimately, God is God. And sometimes he says, just do it. Trust me. This is how righteousness is being fulfilled. So Jesus says that to John. He says, do it. Fulfill all righteousness. What does that mean, fulfill all righteousness? I think here it means that that God has a plan, that God is good and he is faithful and he has a plan and that plan is being worked out in human history and it's being worked out through the lives of John and Jesus in this moment and ultimately that God keeps his promises and all that's being demonstrated in the baptism of Jesus, his good, perfect plan, his promises are all being kept. And so I think that's important to realize because Jesus doesn't get baptized for the repentance of his sins. Jesus has no sin. His baptism is a sign that he, the perfect lamb, the spotless one, would actually take on himself all the sins of humanity. That he was entering into this baptism because in a way he's taking our place. There's a substitutionary aspect to his baptism. He is fully identifying with us in all of our frailty and all of our brokenness and all of our sin in our humanity. In his baptism, Jesus is declaring his mission is actually to come and to save us, to save us through the cross and through the resurrection. So when we see the baptism of Jesus, it points us forward to Jesus fulfilling righteousness at the cross and by the resurrection and his ascension. So Jesus is baptized. What happens when Jesus is baptized? What takes place? What is the picture that we get? It says this. It says, when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. So the prophets had talked about when when God fully reveals himself, he will literally, as a cry, will you rend the heavens? Will you tear open the heavens? And, And that's what happens here. Heaven is opened up, and from heaven, this this dove comes down, this sign of the Spirit of God, and behold, this voice speaks, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Now, what does all this mean? I think Jesus' baptism and these pictures tell us at least two very important things, and the first one is this, that in Jesus' baptism, the Holy Spirit comes. In Jesus' baptism, the Holy Spirit comes. The dove is a sign of the Holy Spirit, and it rests on Jesus as a sign of God's Spirit being with him and in him and empowering him for ministry. Now, I think it's important to realize that Jesus isn't being baptized because he needs the Holy Spirit. He has the Holy Spirit. He already has been filled with the Holy Spirit. He was literally conceived in the Holy Spirit. And so this isn't Jesus being filled with the Spirit. This is God wanting to be clear to us, right, to those who were present that day, but even more importantly, to all who would come after, to the world. Jesus is living out this identity and this call, not under his own power, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. Everything Jesus did, everything you read in the Gospels, all done in the power of the Holy Spirit. So that in baptism, by grace through faith in Christ, we too now receive the indwelling Holy Spirit. That's what this is pointing us to, is that the Spirit comes in Jesus' baptism as it comes in our baptism. We cannot follow Jesus without the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's the first thing. The second thing is this, that in Jesus' baptism, his identity is declared. Jesus' identity is declared. Why did God need to tell Jesus that he was his beloved son in whom he was well pleased? 
This actually, it's interesting, this happens twice in Jesus' life. It happens at his baptism, and then it happens at the uh, transfiguration. God says something very similar. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So what's going on in this moment? It's interesting. You know, I grew up in the 80s and the 90s. And in, in, in my school growing up, I went to a great public school, but part of the curriculum was very centered around self-esteem, right? And I know self-esteem is still a thing, but I feel like it really kind of took its stride in the 80s and the 90s and maybe the early 2000s. Kids were pumped full of self-esteem. It's all about how you feel about yourself. If you feel good about yourself, you'll be happy and successful in life. That was the premise. That was a psychological conviction of self-esteem. And this got manifested in a really funny way. I remember on Saturday Night Live, there was a character called Stuart Smalley. Does anybody remember Stuart Smalley? If you haven't, go, go uh, YouTube Stuart Smalley. Uh, and it, it's hilarious because he kind of em, embodies this conviction. You know, that's all about self-esteem. And, and one of his hallmark things was that he would stand or sit in front of a mirror and he would look in the mirror, and he would say every time, every, every, every time he would say, he would say, uh, he would say, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. <laughs> and he would tell himself that over and over again. I was at a gas station yesterday, and you know they have the little video screens, and they pop up a little commercial. There was a woman who popped up, and she said, are you having a hard day? Let me help you out. And I was like, I am having a hard day. <laughs> She's talking to me. And she says, are you having a hard, a hard day? She's like, I want you to look yourself in the mirror, and I want you to hold up your hand, and I want you to give yourself a high five. <laughs> and then she goes on to explain that, no, that I'm serious. She's like, I really want you to do this because this will help you be happy in life because it's a dopamine hit. That's what it says in the little commercial. It's a dopamine hit. It's all about just getting the right chemicals and kind of getting the right interactions and experience. It's all about feeling good about who you are. Now, I say all that, because here's the thing, if we're not careful, we can hear God's words, this is my son, this is my son, my precious son, my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased, as just a big Jesus self-esteem boost. That this is really just about making sure that Jesus feels affirmed and confident in who he is. And that is not what is taking place here. That's not what is happening Jesus didn't need to know that the Father loved him. He knew that infinitely more than we could ever imagine. He already knew that. He knew who he was in, 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 in the Son of God, the connection with his Heavenly Father, the fullness of God dwelt in him, the Spirit. He knew who he was. He knew he was deeply loved. So why did God say these words then to Jesus? I think it's because it was a declaration to the world of who he is, who Jesus is. It's, it's like an official introduction to the world of Jesus. I went to a wedding a couple weeks ago, and uh, you know, one of the things that happens in a lot of weddings is you, you go to the ceremony, and after the ceremony, you go to a reception after. And when you get to the reception, everybody's kind of hanging out and getting some food and some drinks, having a good time, but the party hadn't really started. The, start, the party doesn't really start until when? The bride and groom get there, but when they get there, they don't just walk into the room like any other couple. What happens? They get announced. They get announced, right? Here, here's this great announcement. We're all told exactly who is coming into the room. This is the bride and the groom. This is the new happy couple. This is the newlyweds. And everybody stood up and applauded. Everybody was so excited 
because it had been declared who just arrived in the moment. And, and I, I thought of that because Jesus' baptism is him walking into history. Right? It's him appearing publicly on the scene, and God is declaring who Jesus is. This is my son, and heaven opens, and glory pours forth, because this is Christ, the son of God. It's an announcement. Jesus is utterly unique. He's not just a moral teacher. He's not just a good example. He's not just some other founder of a religion. He is the only son of God. And his baptism declares it. I want to read you uh, this extended quote from a great little book I highly commend to you by Ray Ortland called The Gospel. And this is what he says. He says, the only son given from the massively loving heart of the Father, came into this world, not by constraint, but willingly, not with a burning sense of wrong, but with a grateful sense of high privilege and a blessed consciousness of his fellowship with the Father who sent him. This is no new religion. Jesus came down from God as the archetypal new man, our better self, our only future. He lived the worthy life we have never lived, and he died the guilty death we don't want to die. By his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus fulfilled every demand of God in our place. He atoned for our guilt. He satisfied the wrath of God against us. He conquered death on our behalf. He did all that as our substitute because in our helplessness, we could never dig our way out. God saved us. He gave us his son. He gave us all. God gave him up at the cross forever and ever. He would uh, give us heavenly things that we do not deserve. That's what his baptism declares. That's who Christ is. In his love for us, God God the Father declares who Jesus is to the world. Jesus didn't have a self-esteem problem. That's not why he did it. We have a sin problem. That's why he did it. That's why he came, because of his grace. Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit conspired together to rescue us from sin and death and to give us life with him forever. That's what Jesus' baptism declares to the world. So let me close with this. What does all of that mean for us as followers of Jesus? What does all of that mean? I think it means three quick things. First, it means that baptism is for us. Baptism is for us. What is true in Jesus' baptism becomes true for us in our baptism. His rightness with God becomes our rightness with God. We are sinners in need of forgiveness, and his perfect life and his shed blood mean that we can be forgiven and washed clean and made right with God. We can have that in Jesus. Second, it means that we can know who we are in Christ. Just as God declared who Jesus is in his baptism, so he declares who we are in our baptism. Baptism is the sign of the new birth. Through baptism, we are born again by water and spirit. We are adopted as God's own children. That's who you are. You are a child of God, a son and daughter of the King, of the Most High. That is who you are in Christ. Now, this world is full of people and institutions trying to tell you who you are, trying to convince you of who you are. Our culture is convinced that the way to identity is a self-construction project along an endless spectrum of identity options. That's what identity means today. But our identity, what makes us who we are, 
Here's the truth. It's endlessly complicated. You can't construct it. And our culture is showing us how failed this attempt is right now to just kind of mash together and change identities like you change clothes. You were not made for that. The truth is you can't construct your own identity. We need something. We need someone outside of ourselves to help us discover who we are. We actually need God, the one who made you, who loves you, who gave his son for you to help us understand who we are, to rescue us from this hopeless situation. And so in baptism, we discover who we are. We are children of God. We are adopted into his family. We're raised into new life in his family. Third, it means that baptism... In baptism, we have the Holy Spirit given to us. We have the Holy Spirit given to us. The very Spirit of God dwells in you. The very Spirit of the living God dwells in you. You've been baptized into the Holy Spirit through faith by grace in Jesus Christ. And it's only by the Spirit that you can live out this calling as a child of God. Only by His Spirit can you experience His love and grace. Only by His Spirit can you trust Him and obey Him. Only by His Spirit can you overcome the sin that enslaves you. Only by His Spirit will you be filled to overflowing with the fruits of the Spirit, love and joy, peace, patience. And so in our baptism, we are given the Holy Spirit. In our baptism, we are reminded who we are. In our baptism, we are changed. Baptism is for us. Today, we baptized Henry. And we trust that one day, he will declare his faith in Jesus, just as today we have declared that faith over him in the name of Jesus, that grace over him. It's our job, church, to raise him up and to raise up all our children who are baptized in Christ to raise them up, to know who they are, and that they are entitled to these gifts, that they're entitled to life in Christ. I love baptizing babies. I really do. I I love baptizing babies. And one of the reasons is because it's such this powerful picture of everything we just talked about. It's such a powerful picture of grace. It's not about what we have done. It's not about what we haven't done. And we can make it so much about other things. And yet, when we come before the Lord Jesus as a child, as a baby, we can receive all that he longs to give us by grace, free and unmerited gifts in Christ. And so this morning, I pray that this encourages all of us. And if you have not been baptized, I pray that you would come to Christ and be baptized, that you would be welcomed into his family as a beloved son and daughter. And if you have been baptized and you believe in Jesus, that you would take heart that, in fact, you have been born again by water and by the Spirit, that you are God's precious child. That's who you are in Christ. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the season of Epiphany. We thank you that you are the God who has come and revealed who you are in the fullness of time. You have come in Christ, fully God and fully man.
Lord, we thank you that you've come into the world to save the world. Lord, we cry out to you as those who need to be saved. Lord, thank you for your grace. Lord, thank you that you love us enough and that you invite us into this life in Jesus, that the words you declared over your son are words you declare over us, that we are your children and in us you are well pleased, not because of who we are or what we've done, but because of who we are in Christ and because of what he has done for us. Lord, I pray we'd receive that. I pray we'd proclaim that, that we live into our calling in Matthew 28, that we would go and tell others, making disciples and baptizing them in the name of the Father and in the name of the Son and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for listening. We hope this resource has been helpful to you. If you have questions or are just looking for more information, you can check out our website at apostleshouston.org.